Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. podcast i'm lucas i'm grant and i'm ethan and if this is your first time listening to us we want to welcome you and here's what you need to know thing number one you can find us on any social media if you type in good music podcast in anywhere on social media you can find us there uh make sure to hit us up you can comment you can suggest songs that if you want to talk about an episode if you have a, a hot take or, or any song suggestions, that's where you do that. Um, for all you YouTube native people, we have YouTube um, episodes uh, coming very soon onto YouTube, so uh, stay plugged in for that. And if you are a longtime member, if you are a Good Music Podcast um, apostle, you need <laughs> to check out the link in the episode because you can become a Patreon member. And that's how we know who the hardcore fans are. And we already have a lot of hardcore fans. And if you're not one, you're missing out. Why? Early episodes and the after hour segment you might have uh, lately been hearing. All right, we're going to go to our after hours. And if you're not a part of the after hours, you're, uh, I guess you're not missing out, but you're kind of missing out. Lastly, they're missing out. Lastly, if you are listening to this and you're not subscribed, that's very sad because we have a lot of other really, really, really good episodes planned that you don't want to miss. And speaking of episodes, Lucas, you have some updates for some past episodes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, every now and again, I kind of just like to talk about, you know, how our stats have been doing. And we are just about to break the 60,000 total play count. Mm. Which I'm really excited about. Um, And now that we've had a little bit of time since Ethan has joined us, I've kind of been able to look and see how overall our episodes have been doing. Because we were kind of talking about, you know, joking, you know, if our episodes start trailing downwards, (laughs) then we're going to kick you out. The axe, yeah. Crap. But not only have our episodes trended upwards, but they have skyrocketed. <laughs> we are we are averaging about fourteen hundred plays a week right now, which is an incredible pace. Wow! And um, I've just been super excited to kind of you know see those numbers continuing to trail upward. Um, so that's sixty thousand plays. When did when did we? In what time frame? So sixty. So I released the first episode in June of last year. So June twenty nineteen was when the Queen episode, the inaugural one, came out, and the first two episodes like went really slowly. 
Like they probably got like twelve plays each, mm-hmm. and then that that th- that magical third episode is kind of like a band's third record that just all of a sudden they yeah make huge stars. Um, the third episode that I did on Coldplay like got a couple hundred listens. Yeah, and yeah. then all of a sudden, ever since then, you know. So the episode started averaging better, but man, the count for the Coldplay episode just kept spiraling upward, upward, upward. And now it's at like, um, I want to say it has like almost 8,000 plays just by itself. <laughs> People love Coldplay. They do. So do, so do I. Yeah, evidently so. We have two episodes on them. 1,400 listens a week is bigger than, like, a small church. Yeah, that's that's very true. <laughs> the the reach that we have at this point is yeah. is getting uncomfortable. Uncomfortably and the crazy, high reach. <laughs> and the crazy thing is that I would say only about 10% of that number is from regular subscribers. <gasps> wow. How... See, if you are listening to this, if you are one of 1,400 people listening to this, then you're not subscribed. It's just like, why? Yeah. Why would you not subscribe? I know. So that was, was, I think, one of the things that shocked me the most was how little of a percentage that was. It's free, and you can always unsubscribe later. Yeah, it's free. (laughs) And I'm not the plugging person, so I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> it's because it's a no-brainer grant. Yeah, it is. Maybe. It's not even a plug. It's, it's you know, if if someone's about to jump on off of a bridge and you tell them to get off the bridge, you're not plugging <laughs> anything. You're giving them perfectly logical advice. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, maybe. So, uh, yeah, just all of those stats are really cool to see and then we got two new patrons this week so i wanted to give a shout out to them uh wanted to say thank you to pamela robbins and kaylee grant for supporting us on the five dollar a month tier thank you guys the patrons are growing in numbers by the day yes they are Wow. So hopefully we'll uh, like to have some more patrons. And if you, if you like what you're listening to, it's uh, the best way to get even more content and early content. So I think with that, we can go ahead and jump into an episode that I have been really excited to do for quite a while. In fact, I'll kind of explain a little bit on how long i've been preparing to do this episode when before i even made the podcast i kind of created like 10 demo set lists of bands i might want to do and electric light orchestra was one of the 10 bands that i demoed on making a potential set list for where 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 does electric light orchestra rank in in your top favorite bands of all time oh i would the thing is is that they've constantly been climbing over the last like 
year and a half to two years. I'd say they're top 20 for me. Yeah. Probably. And I know that this top is 20 rare. Doesn't... It's not one of those rotator through the fifth pillar. <laughs> usually, usually every artist, it's either one of the four pillars or Lucas says, this is one that every once in a while will be my fifth pillar. This is rare. Okay. Has, has ELO ever, ever been fifth pillar for you? Um, they. I would say it's been close, but probably not. the The fifth pillar is kind of reserved for bands that have been really influential towards me, and ELO is not that. And by the yeah. way, that's we're gonna shorten Electric Light Orchestra to ELO quite often. So, if you're wondering what what's this ELO, that's what that is. Um. They're not a band that I would say they're influential on me, but just they're one of the bands that I ha- just have the most fun listening to. And a couple of their songs have really started to rank high on my all-time favorite songs. So... Okay. Um, That's interesting, though, because usually, like, you said that they've been climbing over the past few years. And yeah. so you've obviously had years to get into them is it just like that's not they write in a style that doesn't Uh, appeal to you or is it just few and far between that it's something special or because i would think no that's that's how you get into a band is you notice songs that you like and then you decide to listen to the whole album and then you just keep going yeah so really I only knew maybe like one or two songs of theirs, not even really knowing it was them until probably about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was when they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that um, I really kind of started to take notice of them. And of course, you know, there's they're, they're really big songs I recognize, but didn't realize it was them. That's true. And so I was just like, okay, well... And I remember my dad and um, and Andrew Stone uh, were freaking out that they were getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they were big fans. Uh, Andrew Stone, who's a who's a friend of ours that unfortunately passed away last year, it was one of his all time favorite groups. And he had this thing that he would do before rehearsals would start. Ethan, you can attest to this. You've been there where he'll play a pop song before. Mm-hmm. Um, before we start rehearsal because and then after the song he'll say okay now sound like that (laughs) and i found as i listen to more and more elo i'd be like oh he's played that before rehearsal oh he's i didn't realize that was them Hmm. and so just i would say over the last three years is when i really actually even knew they existed and it's just been over the years just kind of hearing more and more songs and going, wow, that's a great song. Wow, that's a great song. Oh, and then I started to look back and go, they've got a ton of great songs. Yeah, it's weird because their name is almost misleading. You know, you think Electric Light Orchestra, you're thinking of like uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. Or like something that Eric Whitaker would do with like your local tech team you know you would you would think it's something more avant-garde and yeah so 
something that would not be pop radio accept- right. um, accessible. Why would they name themselves that? Well, I guess that's a good segue to talk about uh, uh, it is. who they are and, that and, was by and design. what their origin story is. Wink, wink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was actually was not intended. It just it kind of worked out that way. <laughs> so, Electric Light Orchestra, really, there's one um, central member of the band the, the the creative driving force and that is mr jeff lynn which i don't know if you guys are familiar with that name but he is really one of the all-time great just music geniuses and he does not get near enough credit that he deserves because he's he's a very secluded guy he's not a big personality he's not this you know he's not a freddie mercury where on and off the stage he commands your attention or uh you know he's not a robert plan or a steven tyler or you know where he's got this big he's very shy very quiet very gentlemanly this is a british band by the way Okay. And um Jeff Lynn is the the guitarist, the vocalist and the primary songwriter of the group. Hmm. So he and he's also the producer. He does all the production and studio work for the band and has done has become a legendary producer just for lots of people. And I'll kind of explain a little bit more about his incredible pedigree as a studio producer. Um, so him, uh, and Roy Wood were kind of the original genesis of the band and they did originally create it to kind of be like a, a bit like an avant-garde symphonic rock group. And it was when roy wood left that jeff kind of started shifting more towards pop songwriting but using symphonic instruments Hmm. so then just kind of as the 70s went on he just got better and better at writing those great pop songs and until eventually he just had this incredible catalog of of fantastic songs so they were symphonic instruments, but it sounds like a lot of synthesizers. Well, there's, I would say there aren't a lot of synthesizers, but there's definitely no fake strings anywhere. There's no, really, uh, uh-uh, there's no Mellotron. There's no keep like he's legit got a, an, a string section with him. And they're, they are and, legit and, and members like of the band. Choral section too. It sounds like, uh-huh. In some cases, he got full, he would get full on sim, uh, full orchestras to play on some of their their big seventies records. That it doesn't sound like that though. That's almost sad. Hmm. I okay. I feel it well, does to me. I'm I'm. If you like, if, to me, if you listen to that first song on our set. There's, uh-huh. a, there's a there's a female vocal line towards the end. 
Yeah. And it sounds so synthesized. Hmm. I, it's never sound synthesized to me. Okay. Maybe because I'm used to, maybe because I'm used to a, a synthesizer that will have that sound behind it. Uh-huh. You know, because maybe it was based off of that era of, you know, electric light orchestra doing its pop thing. Because, you know, keyboard players, I don't know, Ethan, I think you guys like pop more than, you know, guitar players and drummers yep. on average. So maybe, but that's weird. Okay. But also really cool, the fact that he's able to add so many different instruments into things. I mean, we talked about Dream Theater having the Octavarium Orchestra, but that, that was it for them. Yeah. You know, they had they had Jordan Rudess to do everything else on every other album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he just, you know, they just, he had this idea of, he was tired of just playing rock songs with the traditional rock instruments. And just wanted to do something different, really. And you can really hear this in all of their songs that his main inspiration was the Beatles. Yes. And there's a lot Obviously. of Beatles sound in his stuff. Obviously. And he always saw himself as like the, the band that the torch was passed to. I, he wanted he wanted to pick yes. up where they left off specifically. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Yes, specifically uh, stuff sorry. like there's stuff like I am the Walrus and um, those kind of ones that had day in the life that had symphonic elements to them, where it's the there is a full orchestra, and even I, John I Lennon um, when they were before they had even broke big at all, John Lennon was on TV talking about how much he liked them and called them, called Jeff Lynn, the son of Beatle. <laughs> and then, you know, after ELO had already broke up, he then became best friends with George Harrison. <laughs> that's funny. That's, so, like, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and George Harrison's son was the one that inducted them into the rock and roll hall of fame. That's pretty cool. Um, so how did the band start? So uh, Roy Wood is actually the main starter of the group, and he uh, asked Jeff Lynn to join his new band that he was starting. So it was funny that Jeff Lynn wasn't the the original brainchild, even though he is a founding member because the band didn't exist until he came into it. He wasn't the one that had the idea of, let's make a symphonic rock group. But he he um once he got into the band, he you know adopted the vision and was just like, okay, this is what we can do with it. And their first record came out in I believe seventy one. Uh no in seventy. Wow, that early. Oh sorry, no, seventy one. I was looking at the wrong thing. Yeah, pretty good. So, yeah, but they wouldn't really get a, uh, a have a hit record until like their fifth record. Oh, did they pull a Pink Floyd slash Rush slash lots of bands? Yeah, and they just had really bad stuff. Yeah, the first the first record's pretty terrible, honestly. Really, <laughs> not even. 
just because they were they were trying to do more of the the avant-garde like trying to create these 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 sim these symphonies and um trying to be really sophisticated like they were you know transported from the classical era and it just wasn't their strong suit and the second album is a little bit better um and then the third record is when you really start to see ELO turning into what we would know them as. Um, I would say that's the first place where you start to see some of their truly great songs like Mama Bell and uh, Showdown. And then the fourth record was that transitional record, uh, El Dorado, where they, you know, I would say their first genius song uh, can't get it out of my head is off of that record and that's kind of the, the album where Jeff Lynn is really growing and transitioning as a songwriter he's still kind of writing these more heady pieces but at the same time really starting to experiment with just concise beautiful pop songs and then the fifth record Face the Music is the, I would say the first true classic ELO record wow and then it's a it's a pretty much the the three records in a row from there are all just nearly perfect records. Face the music, uh, a new world record, and then Out of the Blue, which was a double album. And that's that was kind of Ooh. like the the culmination. And they still made a couple good records after that, but it didn't get better than Out of the Blue. Out of the Blue was kind of his masterpiece. I mean, if you write a one-part, two-part album, usually it's a masterpiece. I'll emphasize yeah. usually. There's some double albums that should I mean, not be double albums. I mean, Use Your Illusion was Guns N' Roses, <laughs> you know. But Out of the Blue, there's so much good music on it. So much. That it's just like, it's it definitely deserved to be a double album. And then, yeah, they actually broke up in 86 just because Jeff felt like he couldn't take the band any further and just wanted to, he didn't like touring. He didn't like, um, you know, going out on the road and playing. He just wanted to be a studio guy. That's where, that's what he loved to do the most. So it's always that's interesting nice. to see. It's interesting it's to nice see what bands. Band, uh, oh, go ahead. It's kind of nice that this band doesn't have like any drama or anything. No, like, this is like, the, this is a very drama free band. It's just like, eh, hey guys, I'm kind of done. Oh, those okay. are nice. Whenever, whenever there would be drama, it would be between musicians that wanted to be serious, um, perf- like you know, like a lot of his string players were like, "Why are we right playing pop songs? We should be playing." you know, Mozart symphonies and feeling that, you know, they were, they were concentrating too much on getting good pop singles. But even then there was, there weren't these huge fights, you know, nothing sticks level or mute math level. Well, that that's, that's what Jeff Lynn wanted yeah. to write though. And the, I you don't know, think he so was ever selling. That's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong. Because whenever with that. he did try and write the more traditional orchestral stuff, he wasn't good at it. 
and you know he was born to be a pop songwriter and a pop producer and just Mm -hmm. you know he he embraced it and he was just he was so good at it so where do these guys fit in like the time frame of music because this is like pretty much the 70s yeah so whenever they were the their biggest so that 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 great three album run was from 75 to 77 i believe i can i can fact check this real quick um let's see uh, but, but, um the music came out in 75 uh, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, seventy-five to seventy-seven was kind of like the golden age of ELO. <laughs> and what they, what other bands were really big at at that point? So, just for reference, um, this would have been the time. This would have been really at the time that music was transitioning. Because in 76 and 77, this is when punk really comes out. Boston came out yeah. in 76. Um, you kind of have the the death of the overindulgent rock and roll. This is when bands like Zeppelin and... Um, and Aerosmith. Well, Aerosmith was doing really well at this point. This was, I would say, that's the point when they were... Oh, but like these bands that were right. just larger than light, like the Stones were really starting to, the Rolling Stones were starting to really decrease in popularity at this time. Um, just kind of, you know, the bands that have these huge rock and roll personalities that, you know, live lavish lifestyles and, you know, at that time were writing nine, ten minute songs and having these huge stage shows. Uh you know, this is this is the same time Bohemian Rhapsody is coming out. This is the wow. time that David Bowie is transitioning from glam into weird German electronic music. Uh, which that's an episode we probably might do here in the near future. <laughs> um, it's it's definitely the point where music is changing. Disco is about to get really big at this point. And then, um, yeah, you've got punk coming in to kind of shake up rock and roll. ELO was kind of right in the perfect spot. They they started to get big right at the end of that of the indulgent, Ooh. excessive rock and roll era. Were there any more uh, important band members other than uh, Jeff? And, yeah, they. Uh... Roy. There are definitely some long-termed musicians with them, like um, Richard Tandy, who is actually the only member that's still with them today. They they have reformed since they broke up in '86. So Jeff, Jeff Lynn is there, big. yeah, but he's Jeff Lynn oh, he is is, okay. is yellow. Without Lynn, there is no yellow. Well, I'm just making sure he said he was the only well, one. Well, he's the still I guess there, I should have clarified so. he's the only one that's still with him. After all these he's he okay. came on on like the second or the third record and is still like I watched one my live concert that I watched of them was from a couple years ago and he's still rocking the piano up there. 
And then uh, Bev Bevan was their drummer, and he was the drummer right from the very first record all the way until they broke up in 86, but he didn't rejoin when the band got back together. So, um, but really, the besides them, they're, they're not really big personalities. They're, they didn't go on to be in any other big successful groups. Like, Jeff Lynn is pretty much the star of the show. Yeah. That that sounds... I mean, their music kind of sounds like that, and I think that they get that feeling across in their lyrics, that camaraderie idea of them being very mm-hmm. collaborative. Some, it Maybe not in composition, maybe, uh, but more in like performance and the fact that we're playing music together because you'll hear a lot of uh, lyricists write things that involve the word I and me and my a lot. But on our first song, you hear a lot of we and our yeah. and us. Uh-huh. And, and that kind of gives the feeling of like, it's a group of musicians, not a front man with a band supporting him like like you feel like that with i mean i just mentioned guns and roses you feel like that with guns and roses that it's like it's axel and the four best guys mm-hmm. you can find they're great and there's nothing wrong with that at all but th- there's less individuality that sounds bad but there's less individuality with yeah CLO. And I think you have to have that when you have so many Yes, and so I think that gives me a good transition to talk about Jeff Lynn, the producer. Let's do that. Wow, I didn't even know this was happening. Okay. So, yeah, like I said, on top of him being the main songwriter, the singer, and the guitar player, he is also the producer of everything that they did. And... You mean, you mean yes. in the studio, he's the sound engineer. Well, the... I wouldn't say he's the sound engineer, but he is definitely calling the shots and like, you know, this he's telling the sound engineer what to do. Like this take is yep, good, this take he's, isn't. He's sitting at the mixing board through the whole process. You know, he's not and he's not collaborating with any other producers. He's doing it on his own. Hmm. And so, you know, the entire band and the entire album kind of lives and dies by his creative direction. He doesn't have someone in the booth going, oh, I think you should do another take. Or mm, what if you cut out this, like, it's it's pretty much just him. Yeah. But he, I believe, is one of the great producers in music. What's his, uh, what's his uh, track record look like of producing? Well, um, he, like I said earlier, he did all of George Harrison's later solo work, which he was able to get him a number one hit with Got My Mind Set On You and uh, and co-wrote that song with him. He produced and sang in the super group, The Traveling Wilburys, which get a load of this super group. Jeff Flynn is the least popular member of this group. That also features George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, oh. and Tom Petty. Okay. 
Who's drumming? Uh, they they've got a studio drummer, but it's he's not considered like okay. a core member of the band. Um. Okay. So yeah, not only is he singing and playing guitar in that group, but also he was the producer for that, and that was a huge record. Um, I would say probably the he did all of Tom Petty's late eighties and nineties work, which that was one of Tom Petty's biggest periods. You know, he's the one that did song the songs "Free Fallen" and "Running Down a Dream," and I won't wow. down. You know, that was when with Jeff Lynn not only producing but co-songwriting. Um, I, but I would say the biggest achievement, and I'm sure this had to be maybe the most surreal moment, was in the mid-90s, the Beatles were doing a documentary series called Anthology. And as a promotional for it, um, they took a couple of unreleased and unfinished demos that John Lennon was working on in his solo career before he died. And the three surviving Beatles came in and put, and finished the songs and they were pretty much new Beatles songs. And Jeff Lynn got to produce those. That's pretty awesome. So he's the only wow. other guy besides George Martin and Phil Spector during the, the actual lineup when the Beatles were making their stuff that got to produce the Beatles, the band that he idolized wow. and formed his sound around. That's like Jason Newstead getting to go to Metallica because he joined Flotsam and Jetsam because he was such mm -hmm. a big Cliff fan. But this that's over the span of like 20, yeah. 30 years. And the and, it's you know, crazy. it helped that he had been, you know, George Harrison's producer and best friend up to that point. And, mm -hmm. and George was the one that told the Beals, he said, either Jeff Lynn produces us or I'm not participating. Ooh. Because and cause he said, cause he said that that's Jeff Lynn's bar. the only one that's going to make us sound like the Beatles. Yeah, and that's true. let me tell you what, those sounds, those songs sound pretty good. I mean, they ELO really does sound like the Beatles. I mean, I remember watching uh, Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. 2, Volume 2, with uh, some of my friends, and we had the, you know, the opening sequence has Mr. Blue Sky on it. And I'm, I turned to one of them, I was like, yeah. this was right after you announced to us that we were doing ELO, but uh -huh. I hadn't listened to the songs yet. And so I turned to him and goes like, this sounds like the Beatles. Is this a Beatles song I've never heard of? It's like, oh, this is Electric Light Orchestra. Like, <laughs> I'm like, what? what a coincidence. <laughs> what a coincidence, yeah. And and so when you mentioned that they picked up where the Beatles left off, that oh, is yeah. spot on. Because the Beatles did do a lot of that experimenting with different sounds from different cultures uh -huh. in their career. They just weren't able to in my mind, I don't think they were able to perfect it. I don't think they had enough time. Um, I think they had, like, and this is totally my opinion, okay? So nobody get mad if you're listening to this. You, you can have your own opinion. You can debate me on our social media platforms, at Good Music Podcast on Instagram. There's a plug. Um, I, I, I think they didn't have the time because they had the interpersonal conflict. And... 
ELO was able to, and Jeff Lynn was able to take both their triumphs and their failures from that period and learn from them and also experiment for the first few albums with very low expectations because mm-hmm. they're a new band and be yeah. able to perfect that, that the Beatles never could do. And I think that they recognize that and that's why they respected mm-hmm. them so much. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, one of the most poignant things is so George Harrison died in uh, 2000 from a brain tumor, but he was in the process of trying to finish another record during that kind of, you know, his, his swan song record. And uh, Mm -hmm. when his son, Danny was inducting ELO into the hall of fame, he recounts the, one of the last conversations he ever had with his dad on his deathbed. And they were talking about what do we do with this album? It's not done. And he said one of the last things his dad ever told him was, get the tapes to Jeff Flynn. He'll know what to do. Wow. And so it's just like to have literally one of the greatest musicians, songwriters of all time hold you in that high esteem as a producer and a, and a co-collaborator. I mean, that just, that speaks volumes to, and not only that, it's like he was a huge mm-hmm. fan of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like for me, if like, I don't know, a musician who's really great, but I don't necessarily listen to them very often, like Bruno Mars, uh-huh. that it would still mean a lot if for whatever reason he thought I was a great producer songwriter studio musician uh that would be great but it'd be much more important if it was a band like ghost because i you know i listened to them he listened to that's crazy i i think we're saying the same thing and we're both equally as like mind blown Mm -hmm. about it yes and we're just we're going to talk in circles. I think at some okay. point greatness <laughs> recognizes greatness. And so you you go from yeah. being a um a fan to being a peer, you know? Yeah. And to rising up to that level and and the you know, you you get your creative flame, you know, from one candle to the other but then there's like not a difference and i do i think i do i would agree that um he doesn't get enough credit because i really hadn't even heard of uh jeff lynn yeah and it's just like i was was just like oh jeff lynn you know a big part of it is just because he's not this big over-the-top personality all the interviews that i watch of him and his stage presence He's just this quiet, very polite guy, very unassuming. He's he's a normal looking dude. You know, yeah, he's got a lot of he's got a big old afro and wears sunglasses, but like, you know, he's not like David Bowie that's so sh- visually striking or, you know, yeah, he's just a guy. He's just a he's just a guy and he just He's he just he speaks very softly. He's very you know he doesn't ever c- 
cuss when he talks. He's not loud. He's just, he's very, just, he's just a very down to earth, cool guy. And because of that, you know, he didn't establish a reputation as being this whirlwind force of nature in the music world. He was just one of those guys that if the people that knew about Jeff Flynn knew he was the man. Yeah. And um, kind of the last thing I wanted to, to touch on before we move on to the next section is about what their popularity actually was, how big they actually were. So we, uh, we like to talk about how difficult it is to have a number one single in your lifetime. And then, you know, it becomes so crazy when we talk about people like the Beatles that had almost 30 number one singles in their short career. And Queen only had two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ELO does not have a single number one in the U Oh, I'm not surprised. They only have one UK number one, but it's not even a song that Jeff Lynn sings. It's a song that Olivia Newton-John <laughs> sings with ELO as her backing band. <laughs> for the, because they co-collaborated on the soundtrack for the movie Xanadu. And so the title track of that movie was a number one in the UK, but it's really more of an Olivia Newton-John song. But they actually do hold the record for most top 10 singles without actually having a number one. <laughs> That's funny, actually. So, that I'm also not surprised at, though, because they almost sound like they'd have a mm -hmm. cult following. You know, like Rush. Like, how many number one singles do they have? Probably not very many. In Canada, I'm sure they have a bajillion. But here in the States, probably not. But there's enough people that love them so much. I mean, I'm sure it's exactly yeah. the same. And one. so, really, I would say now, ELO's bigger than they've ever been. It's almost like people are kind of, are a lot of people that are late to the party are kind of starting to key in and go oh this was a truly great band that did not get the credit that they served in their time like oh, yeah. the biggest hit they ever had in america was they had uh don't bring me down was a number three hit so, wow but yeah mm -hmm. it says that they've got more combined uk and u.s top 40 hits than any other band in history By how much? It doesn't tell me the number, but okay. still, I'm you know, I'm looking at all of the charts right now, and it's just you see all of these high, like when I say high, I mean high on the charts, as in you know, so Ooh. many number eights, number fours, number six, number eleven, like just everywhere. It's just mm -hmm. they could never get to the top spot. <laughs> and, oh, that's okay. You know, they produce some great music, and, you know, people my generation are kind of waking up to the oldies uh -huh. but goldies, and now, you know? And I think that 
ELO is going to be one of those as we move into the next few years. Yeah, and now whenever they do live shows, they've got 60,000 people coming to their shows singing along to every song. A lot of those fans (laughs) are younger fans that weren't around at that time. So yeah, oh, yeah. Like, I watched oh, yeah. I watched their their live in Hyde Park show, which was kind of like their big comeback after they reformed in 2014. And just I mean, they played an entire set of hits. It was an hour and a half long show, and they don't do long songs, so it's not like, you know, you could say, oh, well, a couple of those songs were 10 minutes long, extended jams, no. Like, just every song, that's a hit. That's a hit. That's a hit. <laughs> oh, great song. Well, that's a hit record. And just they didn't play any <laughs> deep cut, what I would call a deep cut in that whole show. The entire show were songs that anyone that's an ELO fan would have recognized. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. it is incredible that they have that many well-known great songs. So, because of that, we are definitely going to be able to do multiple episodes on ELO, which I'm there's so many songs, oh, sure. great songs I had to leave out, like Sweet Talking Woman and um, uh, Living Thing and Can't Get It Out of My Head, All Over the World. There's just, we've got so many great songs still to do in future episodes. So with that said, I think we'll go ahead and take our break here. And when we come back... We are going to look at the six songs that we have selected for this episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about ELO and Jeff Lynn and his amazing musicianship. And now it is time for us to talk about the six songs that we have selected for this episode. So, Lucas, for the people who are just joining us for the first time, first of all, welcome to you. Uh, could you explain to them what we mean by six songs? Yes. Yeah, so this is the part of the episode where we get to get concrete talk about um you know specifically what was great about this group and uh the songs that i've picked are the best songs for you to listen to if you have never listened to electric light orchestra so i'm not necessarily picking what i think are objectively the six best songs or even my six favorite songs um these are the six songs that if you've never heard them before, this is going to be your best first step into their discography. But also I like to pick and order the songs in a way 
nice flow from start to finish. So the tr- songs transition well off of each other, and it's not just a random hodgepodge of songs to listen to. That hopefully you have a emotional listening experience throughout the set. And the way that you can listen to these songs is there is a link in the description of the episode uh, to a Spotify playlist. And there you can listen to not only uh, the songs in this episode, but all the songs from our previous episodes. And as a bonus, this is actually something I've started to do for every episode, and I'm really enjoying it, is um, I have also made a playlist where I have ranked every ELO song from worst to best. But they have quite a few number of albums. I didn't get to rank all of them. So I ranked their first, all the songs from the first nine records. So everything all the way up to discovery. So um, we'll also talk about kind of where I put the songs from this set in that playlist. So that's in Spotify as well. And I think we can go ahead and get started with um, probably their most iconic song and yeah. definitely the best song to start the set with. Ooh, I don't know. See, I, I've always thought of this song as being a very good ending song. Man, I mean, I think it's one of those ones that can be either or. Because I, well, it can. It can, with, for sure. So, by okay, the way, so the first song, of all, this song is Mr. Blue Sky. There we go. Just so there's not any ambiguity, uh, I I I because he's talking about you know lyrically like oh the sun's back out now you know and the ending with the whole Lydian suspension sounds very like into the unknown kind of like Disneyland feeling you know so. Mm-hmm. And then, but the other way around, it's also like Mr. Blue Sky, like, let's actually get outside and start the day now because it's nice outside. So yeah, that I, it's one of those ones that it can work either way. So I'll explain kind of okay. why I picked it as a, process. Yeah. As, a, as a first song, as well as why it works as an ending song as well. Okay. So... um as far as it being an ending song, this is what they always close their live shows with. Partly because of, yes, it's got the epic ending, but also because, you know, that's that's typical of a band to kind of save their biggest hit for the very end. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also the end of the third side of Out of the Blue. Remember, because that is a double record. It's the end of and the third at- side? Yep, and it's actually, it's the end of a multi-part suite called Concerto for a Rainy Day. That would explain it. So it's the whole, that whole side is actually one continuous musical piece. Mm. It sounds very, very orchestral towards the end. Uh huh. And what that is is actually that's the reprisal of all of the previous themes heard throughout that suite. That's amazing. Is this is like a little mini octavarium? It kind of is. I kind of want to listen to this now. 
This oh, is only the really... first song, and you're making me want to listen to more. It's really good. Um, but the reason I put it at the front is um, they actually, on all of their greatest hits records, they always start the greatest hits record with this song. And that's actually the first album of theirs I ever listened to was their greatest hits. Whenever I saw that they were getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I was just like, well, I need to figure out what their big songs are. Put on uh, that greatest hits. And the first song I heard was Mr. Blue Sky. And I was hooked from that instant. And so for me, putting this song at the beginning... Uh, first off, just having you, you almost get a greeting into the set. Good morning. Today's forecast calls for blue skies. Yeah. I think that this, that's just, it's a nice little way to introduce the listener into the set. Mm-hmm. And to me, I just think that this song, you hear it and immediately you're just like, okay, I want to hear what else mm-hmm. is on here. Because it's so bouncy. Uh huh. It's one of the happiest songs ever made. Right, there's yeah. a lot of staccato to it, which makes which it should seem stressful because of that. But because of the way that the the piano is almost kind of laid back, you know, and the drums mm-hmm. are, are are also kind of laid back, you know, instead of bam bam bam, you know, dum dum dum. So it it's it fits very well with you know the guardians volume two opening where groots just kind of dancing around having a good time uh-huh and literally oh yeah i loved i loved i had just found that song whenever i went to go see guardians 2 and i was really happy to see that that song was in the movie <laughs> yeah yeah th- those movies have a lot of really good old music but uh uh-huh. uh yeah it's it is a kind of a musical oxymoron because towards the middle of the song if you're if you really haven't listened to this song before it it starts to get old because you're not used to that staccato feel you know and mm-hmm. you're starting to be like when's it gonna end but I think it's they could not have ended that in in a different way than they did you know if there were if there were to be parts in the middle that weren't like the mr blue sky please tell us what you know that's that's the only way they could have had a break uh-huh you know they couldn't have gone to halftime they couldn't have gone to an actual you know legitimate drum beat that's not you know the same note over and over and again but at the same time they turned something that was the same note over and over and over again into something that was very unique, you know, very much like Dimebag Daryl did with the walk riff. That's the same thing over and over and over again, but it's the, it's the tone behind the fingers, you know, or Uh the hands or the voice that make the song. I think, they excel at that and that's the takeaway from this song it's amazing you comparing electric light orchestra to pantera (laughs) (laughs) i didn't think of that one but like that's i don't know anyway that's my takeaway ethan yeah ethan what do you think of this song i i think it's a great opener and also i think it segues really good into the second song which we'll get to in a little bit but the um i I don't really get tired 
of the bum 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 bum. I don't need because that. they they do a good job of shifting the dynamics in between sections and keeping it interesting with the synthesizer vocal and the choir and the. I think they do a good enough job, like even like the bass line and stuff that's happening in the background, like that's changing up. The only consistent in the song is that dun 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 dun. Um, I would say, and and this is very cliche, but this is probably it, this is my favorite song in the, in the set. Be- oh yeah, because oh, it's sure. because it's and and another reason why I like putting this at the beginning and uh, and maybe Lucas does this thematically on purpose because this has been I think true of the past couple of sets where I feel like the first song in the set is the best generic um, introduction to the band as holistically, because I think we get, we get a lot more of that orchestral vibe from them. We get a lot of the pop vibe from them. We get a lot of the weird synth vocal stuff from them. We get a lot of like, we see a lot of different sides of the band here and I think you kind of get you get everything that we get a makes taste of ELO the what they package are. here, and that's another reason why I like it so much. And it makes sense because I didn't know that this was kind of like a um, the final movement of like a longer score, you know, where we're getting yeah. reprises and stuff. That does make it a lot more interesting. But I think that you know, just all of those things combined, I think this this song I think creatively is is um is so advanced and there's so many moving parts and there's so much that this song is accomplishing in its five minute runtime uh it would you know i just had to put it yeah i know it it sounds like it's longer than five minutes it sounds like it's 12 and not in a bad way you know we say that a lot about a lot of 12 minute songs it sounds like five minutes but you're right there's so much packed in there there's so much that happens. So, so much. You get towards, I remember first time I listened to it, and it got to that orchestral section at the end. And I'm like, oh, this must be the second song. And I look yeah. and we're like barely more than halfway through. I'm like, what? What is like, this song crazy. about? Yeah, so I did want to talk about oh, right. kind of where this, where this fits. So um, whenever they... They went to Switzerland, I believe, to um, to write this record. And Jeff Lynn was having a really tough time. He was he had writer's block, and he said that the first two weeks that they were there, he didn't wasn't able to write anything, and that it was it just rainy and gloomy the entire time that they were there, and it was just really depressing. And then he said, one day, the, the, the sun came out, the clouds went away, and it was a beautiful day, and he wrote Mr. Blue Sky right there. It was the first song written for the record, and he said, at, at once I got Mr. Blue Sky down, the entire record came in under a week. An entire double record. A brilliant double record. Hmm. And so that song was his happiness, and finally... Not just in the weather being nice, but just it being a breakthrough. That 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 thing that he needed to get him out of his depression that he was in. So it's also symbolic to him. Yes. 
And so what the entire concerto for a rainy day is, is that, yes, it's it's using the metaphor of enduring through a rainy, gloomy time. So that entire record is is like a uh, metaphor for his own experience trying to write that album. No, not just that, just side three, just the uh, the concerto for a rainy day multi-part suite the rest of the album the other three sides are just collection of great songs there's kind of not a theme overriding it's just that that side three has a continuous movement and so the song starts or the 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 side starts with um i have to i have to look at what all the what all the songs are actually individually called um so it starts with standing in the rain and um, then it goes into Big Wheels, which Big Wheels is is an incredible song. It's one that we would definitely do in a future episode. Just about how like life feels like a like you're constantly just spinning around, not going anywhere. And then Summer and Lightning is the third one where it's just it's the um the deciding or the the making the decision of no matter how gloomy it gets just keep hoping keep going and eventually it will be sunny again it's and then mr blue sky is the is the the fourth and final part where the the perseverance pays off and that's why there's so much joy it's it's symbolic of going through the darkest night and getting to the brightest day. That's nice. And that's why there's a little bit of sadness in that last verse when he said, you know, but soon comes Mr. Knight creeping over. Now his hand is on your shoulder, but I'll remember you this way. Saying that, you know, this this happiness is not going to last forever. Night is coming and it won't be day anymore. But I'll still remember this one uh, perfect day hmm. that we had. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And then, and then <laughs> night comes in the second song. <laughs> it does. And, and also one last thing before we get there, and this is actually really cool so it's got that little vocorder um part at the very end Mm -hmm. yeah did you guys look up the lyrics to see what it what he's actually saying mr blue sky mr blue sky no so that's what always that's what everyone always thought that he said but he's actually saying please turn me over saying turn me over to the other side that's pretty funny. Like saying, flip over the record, please. Yeah. <laughs> huh? <laughs> that, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. He says, uh, Jeff Lynn always said that he doesn't ever like to take himself too seriously. And that he feels that if a song is too heavy and serious, he likes to just throw something daft in there just to just to lighten the mood a little bit. That's nice. Yeah, I noticed there was also an, like a, like a trolley bell in there somewhere. 
Uh huh. And this is where the the Beatles influence. So he was very specifically conjuring the mood of a song of theirs called "A Day in the Life." Which I don't know if either of you guys have heard that song no. before. It's considered by most to be the Beatles' best song. It's the closing song on their uh, Sgt. Pepper's album. And um, there's a there's a part in the middle where Paul McCartney describes a daily routine. Woke up, got a, out of bed, dragged a comb across my head, um, made my way downstairs and drank a cup. Then looking up, I noticed I was late. He does the ha, 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 ha. Which, oh, yeah. Which he uses in uh, running down the avenue. Ha, ha, ha. That's a deliberate nod to that song. Hmm. And and then just the trolley bell. It's just, it's all, you know, the trolley bell is probably uh, a reference to Penny Lane because there's a trolley bell that sing that signals in that song. Wow. So there's just there's a lot of intentional homage. It's not like he was doing it unconsciously. He was doing it on purpose to give tribute to his favorite band. That's nice. Little Easter eggs are always something that that are great for this podcast. So hey, if you ever want to become a famous musician, put Easter eggs in your music. <laughs> yeah, when it we makes cover you will enjoy it. <laughs> Oh, and then um, I put this song as number one on my ELO ranked list. Oh, me and Ethan picked a good favorite. But I can't say for sure that this is my favorite. Is it your favorite of this list? It's the one that I can objectively say, yes, it's the best song that they made. But it's not your favorite out of our six. I don't, man, I don't know. There's three of them on this set that I love for different but yep. equal reasons. It's like me with pulling an Ethan here. Yeah, you're <laughs> this is this is the song I listen to it and just my objective musical brain just recognizes how brilliant it is. And it just makes me feel really happy. But there's two other songs that affect me in different ways. I'll have to, and I can't yeah. tell which one I like the most. I'd have to say that that my musical brain actually didn't like this one as much as some of the others, but I found my my emotions wanting to come back to this song and listen to it again. And I think that that's also very important, and that's why it's my favorite, because I it was very memorable. All right. Well, anyway. I think we can go ahead and yeah, move on to the next Yeah, let's move on to the next song, which would be Evil Woman. Yes. Evil. So... We actually get a really cool transition here, and because uh, we we kind of end it on this really um, spacey, yeah, and then we pick up with this very sad orchestral um, sweep right before the song just kind of hits you right in the face, mm-hmm. and um, this is definitely one of their biggest songs. It's off of that, really, I think that 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 game-changing record of Face the Music, that fifth record where you listen to and you're just like, this ELO was fully formed. He has um, completed his evolution as a songwriter. And this song, 
um, was really kind of their first mega hit. Hmm. Is kind of the, the song that really put them on the map as rising stars. Even though it wasn't their first, you know, top 10 hit, it was kind of the first one to really like get their momentum moving in the right direction. This might be a weird observation because that's why I like talking about like when the time frame was, but like this song is has a disco vibe to it. Like kind of a disco, yeah, disco funk vibe, but this is pre-disco. It's just really interesting, just how like there's a lot of like, like especially in that beginning, there's like a lot of like funk influence, like on those like those trash cans on those dominant seven chords, you know, um, like that old old yeah, school I, R&B. I can almost hear the little BG's keyboard bass line, you know, to staying alive on it, barely, yeah. barely. But I I think that, well, okay, I don't even know because even those little guitar licks, you know, in the chorus would still fit with that. I think you're right. This is like this is proto disco. It, it's a it is because that's that's where <laughs> I was like trying to because it's like that boom 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 like that baseline is just I was just like man, this is just really grooving for a rock song. You know, and you can still hear the roots of rock. It's not complete, like, it's not Bee Gees level disco, but I mean, there's roots there. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Lynn has said that he was a big disco fan. So you think and he was like on the cusp of that movement? Like he was, I think, I think he was. So this song, whenever Face the Music was pretty much finished, this song hadn't been written yet. And he said that he was listening to the album. And he was just like, I don't hear where my smash hit is on this album. I don't, I don't hear the big hit. And so he told the rest of the band, go to the pub, have a bite to eat. I'm going to write a song real quick. No, that's, are you serious? He said he wrote this song in 30 minutes. In 30 minutes, the song was done. Oh, yeah. No, not surprised at all. He mm. sounds like the Prince type that would write mm. a song every day. I need a hit. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I'm just going to go write a hit. I just don't feel like we have one. Let me just go write one really quick. Yep. He said the first thing he did was sat down at the piano and those three chords just came to him. Wow. He was just like, oh, I could make a song out of that. And had the whole song figured out. By the time they came back, he told everyone how to play it, and they cut it that afternoon. Crazy. And it was and it was the big hit off the record. <laughs> I wish I had that level of talent. Wow. I know. It's just it's it's crazy. Yeah, that that piano riff is just it's so good. That goes back to like him hitting his stride, like as a songwriter, though. Yeah, like being in this prime songwriting stride where he, where he has the confidence to be to one as a producer to know that there's not a hit, and two to be like have to have the confidence to be like I'll just write one, like I know what it takes to write <laughs> one, you know. Because yeah. yeah, the rest of the album is is a bit more adventurous, but still just a really strong like it's. I would say it's my second favorite record of theirs. 
next to Out of the Blue. It's just, there's not a weak song on the whole record. But, um, yeah, Evil Woman is by far the most radio-friendly song on that record. And it's one of their, it's one of the songs that gets played on the radio today now most. It's, it's kind of become one of their signature songs. It's the first song they played whenever they got, they did their short little rock and roll hall of fame induction performance. He got up on the stage and they went straight into that trash can, which I think interesting way to start a song. Yeah. That's that, like, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's that's like a, uh, that's like a old school R and B like, move mm-hmm. yeah it is and then you just and then you just launch into this boogie woogie party it, and, yeah, boogie and, <laughs> and it's funny because it's like the lyrics are are so dark so aggressive yeah but at the same time, it's like he is having a party because he's glad to be rid of this evil woman. Let's it's talk fun. about the meaning of the song before you get too much into it. I mean, there's really not a deep meaning to okay. this. It's it's about an evil woman getting her comeuppance and him saying, you don't have a hold over me anymore. And now I'm going to be laughing when misfortune comes your way because you deserve it. <laughs> hmm. Love it. His songs tend to not be super deep lyrically. He's not trying to write a... He never tried to write like a Stairway to Heaven where it's this mythical mystery box. Oh, those are always the best. He he knew that because his, his gift is writing pop songs, he pretty much most of the time wrote pop lyrics. It's still fun though. and I'm talking about the good kind, not like you know some of the some of the cringy stuff that we have today, where it's like, how did someone wrote this? Um, but just you know, it's the this. I would say probably Mr. Blue Sky is one of the ones that has one of the deeper meanings, just because that had such a personal connection to him and part it being part of a multi-step suite. But a lot of the songs on this are just, you know, he's just putting simple lyrics to simple music. And it works really well. Yeah, this just this just feels like a as 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 musicians it's it's a little bit sad, but as like appreciators of music, it's like this this is an example of just like it's a good groove. It's a good song, and the lyrics are good and fun, and the vocal melody is good and fun, and it works. And it's like the end. That's kind of all you need. Yeah. Well, I didn't know if there was any story behind it or anything, but I guess no. not. There wasn't an evil woman in his life. I guess. Well, <laughs> there doesn't have to. If be, there was, you know, if there was, he hasn't told us. If it's about a specific person. He seems like an upbeat guy. He probably wouldn't would do that. Yeah. Okay. 
but he's just he was really good at writing universal songs that that can because most of us have that one girlfriend that we had dated before that like we look back and go why did i ever date her she was a terrible person and that song is for all those relationships of just going man i'm so glad that i wised up and got out of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just you know it's one of those things that everyone can relate to that it's specific enough but vague enough that it's like everybody can relate to it but not so vague that you can put your own you know hotel california meaning to it yeah you know it's not supposed to convey the meaning of life it's just supposed to be like relatable yeah which is what pop is like pop's not supposed to convey the meaning of life like (laughs) Mm -hmm. lyrically it just isn't you know it they leave that for progressive metal exactly (laughs) so um i put this i put this song on number four on my ranked list wow Wow. no yeah i i would say it deserves to be that high i mean from what i've heard of the rest of this set it's a pretty like good song so i guess we can go ahead and move on to our third song uh turn to stone turn to stone which has such a great groove to it just that that kind of that triplet driving groove. Yeah. But it's still yeah. it's still got that four four stomp and you've got the triplet uh roll to it. I'm just telling you, it's disco, dude. If, yep. If you make it's, I don't know, if you make that a this... little bit more staccato, if you make that a little bit more chunky, that's a megadeth song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this song actually is about disco. Oh yeah. Huh. This song is about his woman constantly going out to discos and dancing and leaving him home alone. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't I didn't listen. I'm I'm very bad at lyric lyrical anal, anal, analyzing lyrics. Same. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much he's just like um you know, he's turning to stone as in just, you know, he's he's waiting for her to come back and you know, it's super late. No one is usually out, but she's still out going at it. And he's just like, um, I'm, I'm getting really bored. <laughs> Can you come home, please? Mm-hmm. So once uh, again, not a very deep meaning. No, but again, he, it never has, it doesn't have to be with him. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of, that's kind of, it's, it's nice sometimes when we do these episodes to not have like mute math all those songs were really deep last week yeah yeah because they're really pulling on their deep emotional and spiritual philosophical views on life yeah, and just the guy that's just writing about stuff yeah <laughs> so but kind of refreshing but, mute, but musically this i love this song i put this song as number eight on my ranked list hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely put the other two ahead of it. Not because it's bad at all. No, I was actually wanting to talk about the great little call and response things that he put yes, in the, the, 
the and vocals the are a big highlight of this song. Oh yeah, and and the uh, the string section mirroring it in in most cases, and yeah. playing little licks here and there, and and oh yeah. Now what what album did you say this one was on? This is actually the opening track of the Out of the Blue record. There you go. So it was it. That's the that's the third one in the three that you talked about being his prime. You can mm-hmm. you can hear it. You can hear. Yeah. It. I mean, just yeah. You turn on that record and turn to Stones. The first thing you hear, and you're just like, "This is gonna be a good record." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, you have the, the crazy section in the middle where he just, like, starts singing really, really fast, which he said is an example, again, of him just, like, going, we haven't done anything silly yet in this song. Let's just, like, put something crazy here just to, like, give it this extra little amount of tension. He's going, but when you come on this, yeah, just, like, crazy, stupid fun. Not yeah. not crazy like uh, them bones with uh, Lane Staley just screaming ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to try to sound tortured. This is more of a let's just do something fun, and that's good. I mean, that's not the kind of music I listen to. I said I, I said good the wrong. I put the wrong inflection. That's good. Because and and it's something that I'm not used to. That's why I had that inflection on there. You know? I think that as a producer, like these, like same with Evil Woman and same with Turn to Stone, where it's like there's a groove that's really well established for the song, and it's pop. So it's like that's where we're at, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And so that's going and going and going, and most of the change that you're getting from in the song is is vocally. And so I think it's a good producer move to put something in there that's a little bit of a left turn, a little bit of an eye catcher, so it's not just like kind of more of the pop that we have today, mm-hmm. where it's just like, okay, it's literally the same exact thing over and over and over and over and over, yeah. and only the vocals are changing. We get a little bit more dynamic pull that way, and to, to kind of like throw an eye catcher in there, I think it's a good testament to they were probably in the studio, and it was probably like, okay, this song's getting a little tired. Like, what, what is there like a little interlude or a little bridge or a little something that we can just throw in and kind of take a take a detour for a second just to get everybody's attention right. back i think uh, for for that reason i think lucas you don't like so far so good so what is because they do that on just about every song in the middle of liar he starts rapping he basically does the same thing that they did here and when i first heard that song you know what i remembered was that part and i'm sure there are many people who when they heard when they heard Turn to Stone for the first time, or for some of you listeners who will have yet to hear it for the first time, that might be what your ear picks up on. You know, hmm. you never know. Maybe it was a calculated move rather than a just let's take a left turn. I think it's one of those things that's probably how it started as. And then, you know, he's smart enough to kind of realize, hmm, but also this can serve this purpose as well. Yeah. 
I wish they would have brought it back at the end. That part. I'm just kind of yeah. sad that they only did it once. Hey, leave him wanting more, you know? It's hilarious watching him do it live because he has this panicked look as he's trying to remember what words to say. That's awesome. <laughs> whenever, whenever he finished it in the concert, he, like, breathed a very um, obvious sigh of relief and, like, the whole crowd cheered. Like, it was kind of one of those moments that they were all waiting for him to do and he just kind of laughed and then he almost forgot to sing the words to the next part of the song because he was so happy that he <laughs> got through the fast part. <laughs> this is just another it's just a good song and, and I think that's where ELO is just like it, it's just they're just writing good songs. There's mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day like I mean at all the analysis all the song analysis that I have is just like timbre and song structure and just being like it's just good mm-hmm. it's a good song there's no big epiphany or revelation they're not really like reinventing the wheel here or anything it's just like they're just writing a freaking good song mm-hmm. it's, they're not there's no gimmick to it it's just a good song you know what I'm saying yeah and so that means by the when we get to the next song, we kind of get to have something a little bit different. Mm. Yeah, this one caught my eye a lot. Telephone line. Yeah, another another contender for maybe my favorite. I this was one starts with a left turn. I, whenever I heard this song, first I was like, "Is this going to be some dark electric light orchestra song?" Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds like you could sample that and make some weird dubstep track. Mm-hmm. It's almost Pink Floyd-esque. Yeah, it kind of is. In that way. Yeah, I never even thought of that, but that's true. Right. Uh, you know, because he's like, pick up that telephone. It's kind of got like a nobody's home feel of like, he's yeah. kind of, you know. Anyway, I was going to we we shouldn't get off track. Let's talk about the the music in the song first. Oh man. So this is the one the reason why this is a a potential winner for me is just because this is the one that hits me on that emotional level. Oh yeah. Because this in the same way that we all have that evil woman girlfriend, we also have that one that we were trying to desperately connect back with. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And the music is so beautiful and so well written that it just it it unlocks that emotion so well. Mm. Um, man, that that uh, pre-chorus when he comes in and the do do that melody line is so freaking good. It just it sounds like the seventies. Yeah, everything yeah. about it sounds like the seventies. You know the little the little keyboard intro, and the the messing around with the uh, sound of the telephone dial. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's totally vintage, and yet very sad. Yeah, and I love the way that it switches because when you first start singing, it sounds like he's on the other end of a telephone. Yes, yes, I noticed and that. Which is to normal when he says, that's what I would say. 
like he's it, it now we're back in his world he's you know hello how are you is all the hypothetical of what he wants to say if she would just pick up the phone because the the thing to know about telephones back in that time was there were no answering machines mm-hmm. and so phones rang until someone either picked up or the person decided to hang up and so he could literally be ringing the phone for 30 minutes just sitting there waiting for her to answer you know he can't just leave a message saying hey can you call me back I miss you Mm -hmm. and so when you add that that kind of bit of technology and you're just kind of you now have this image of someone that's literally just sitting on the phone waiting for it to pick up but no one's picking up yeah it makes it that much more sad i think this is my second favorite song in the set i put this at number two on the ranked playlist mm. man ethan you're good it's it but it's because i feel like we get we get another good look at like the original intention of the band where it's like all the strings, we get that choir thing back in. We get yeah, we the, get the, a lot of yeah. a lot of the elements coming back in where it's like the answering machine thing. Like we get we get some more of the like Evil Woman and Turn to Stone, it's like those are just good songs. Mr. Blue Sky and Telephone Line are not only just good songs, but there's elements in there where it's like whenever you listen to it, you're like, Yeah, that's electric live orchestra. Like that's yeah, definitely the, electric light orchestra because of the it's like their secret sauces in this one. Uh-huh. The orchestra really gets to just go crazy on this song. And just yeah. Um the the chorus. Yeah. I just I I have I love singing along to this song because just every melody is literally perfect. Yeah, it's good. It's just... every melody is perfect. David Gilmour wrote the vocal line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're right about that. And it is that doo-wop section, you know, because it's it's just mm-hmm. him singing for the most part throughout the whole song until that, you know. And, it, and, it, it, and really, technically, it is still just him because that's well, him overthinking itself. Right, but it, it's, 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 a, it's a bunch of him and they're not singing any words they're just singing something behind it and so in a sense he still is lyrically on his own Uh uh-huh you know i don't know why it has the feeling that it does i once again here i am stressing yet again hey listeners go listen to the songs you know because hopefully you guys will get the same feeling that i'm getting i just can't express it right now I I loved the part in the middle of the song where it like just cut out and went back to the telephone. Yeah, I just loved that it. Too. It's just so good, and they didn't have to do that. Just, just yeah. did because it's good. Yeah, just this this song is just it's so glorious and. It's it's epic, but not in the way that like we would normally describe a song being epic. It's just it's just got such a powerful emotional weight to it. Epic, that, but not an epic. 
Yes. But also, it has an emotional weight to it, but I think it's it's still fun in, in, a, in a really weird way. It's like... Yeah. It's not like a sappy song. No. You know? It's emotional, that... and it's... But it's, it's still... It, it's not like emotional, like, oh, I just want to cry my eyes out. It's emotional, like it's just good and it's relatable and it's like you can you, feel you can feel you can, what the song is supposed to be doing you can get your emotion out by singing along and listening to the song and you kind of feel a little better about it yeah this is something that you would put on the ox when you're driving around with the boys you know not this isn't something you'd go listen to yourself and cry yourself to sleep yeah maybe you would i don't know but it has that feeling. I get what you're saying, Ethan. Yeah, it's a great song. Mm-hmm. And so from that that big emotional swell, we get another cool little transition into our next song, Strange Magic. There's some strange sound magic on this one. Yes, there is. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've got that nice little, the, the strings are kind of still carrying a bit of the emotional power of telephone line, but then we kind of mm-hmm. get to wind it down into a bit more of a, a different atmosphere. And, uh, we get that great opening guitar line. And, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, this is also off of the uh, the face the music record, same one as Evil Woman, mm-hmm. and this 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 was a minor hit for them. It wasn't as big of a hit as Evil Woman was, but this is a song that's kind of retroactively grown in stature in their discography. Uh, this was one of the coolest songs to see them do in the concert because, like, the whole crowd sang along with. And um, yeah, it is, it's, it's easy to sing along with because of the range. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of their other songs are way up there. You know, you can't really sing to them too much. Like we just talk about the you know some of that chorus. Just yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> but when he's singing "Strange Magic" at that at that low, you know, almost bass level, you know. Everybody can sing that, you know. Yeah. Well, okay, every, every guy can sing that, right? So, yeah, I'm not surprised that everybody was singing along. Probably, probably out of uh, sheer ability to, you know. Yeah. So, um, so tell me, Ethan, what you think of this song? I like it. It's just, it's really chill, you know. It's just like. I love the phaser that they have over everything. Mm-hmm. I, this this the song has a very dreamy feel to it, hmm. which is a carryover because um, the the previous album El Dorado, which is the the transition record, is a concept record about daydreaming. Oh, really? Uh huh. And. They kind of, you can kind of see some connection from that record into this song because, you know, his, all of his imagery is, it's almost like he's, he's daydreaming about 
um, about this woman and about the hold that she has over him. And it's like, he kind of doesn't know what to make of it. It's a strange magic. Cause there's a lot of stuff in here where like the guitar or the keyboard, they'll like, just kind of go like, they'll take their chords and they'll just kind of like play chromatically down, you know? Yeah. And you can tell it's like, it's a stylistic that you want to, they want you to like feel a drop before they go into another section or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this, this kind of just goes back to, it seems like the ELO method is just like, get a good groove and then just write good melodies and then just kind of like add the icing on the cake with that. Like, like the, like, I feel the like other every random band. stuff. You just yeah, described but... all of music. <laughs> Get a, a good lot, groove, a write some people, melody, icing on the cake. A lot of people, though, it's like they have like a gimmick, you know? Yeah, like they, mm-hmm. they, they have cool. they have a thing where it's like this is our thing. We're gonna do this, you know. But like they they find they find they find the thing, and then it's just because it's kind of like the same with this. It's like they the groove is just really good and there's not like one specific thing in this song that I'm like that part is what makes the song good it's everything like that part yeah. is what yeah. makes the song stand out as being really good that's the gimmick of the song this, mean, it's, it's, just, it's just they just made all the right choices and melodically it's just good it's not like mm-hmm. like we were talking about Queen and their live stuff which if you haven't listened to that uh, goes to it but it's like whenever we whenever we were talking about queen it's like man the guitar solo on this song was so great or like man freddie mercury's callback stuff here was amazing oh the choice on the drum solo thing was so good like there was something that we could just point at and be like that's what made it great what made this great is just it's just a good song it's just <laughs> yeah. a good song and there's no there's nothing in it where where it's like whoa no one's ever done a guitar lick like that before it's like it's just good i would have to say that i would disagree i think this whole the whole mood of this song is a gimmick it's all it's very i I can't remember what uh what what uh word lucas was going to use but i would say this song is very campy but 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 kind of the Ian McDermott kind of campy, where it like it works, you know. It's like ooh, phaser, ooh, strange magic, you know. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I kind of never viewed this song as campy. Not I campy think, in a bad way, but yeah. I think it's it's a. I think it is a little bit tongue in cheek. I think that might be a better way to describe it. Towards it's it's self aware. It's again the fact that Jeff Lynn never really took himself too seriously, so he's not trying to like really put us in this serious, suspenseful, mysterious atmosphere. He's creating it, but at the same time, he's just kind of like you know, hey, it we're still nice. gonna have fun. It's nice to hear an augmented chord, though. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's a good setup to looking like a true jazz musician. It's nice to hear <laughs> a dissonance there. I'm just like, whoa, is that a sharp five? 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. And uh, I, I can tell you where it was. I'll, I'll take this. I'll take this time also to point out the fact that um, we haven't really had any guitar solos this set. Mm-mm. The only one is in uh, the beginning Mr. of Mister Blue Sky, and it's it's in a place where you ne- would never put a guitar solo. I forgot to <laughs> say that whenever we were on the song, he puts it right after the first chorus in a big song, which is like no one else would do that. But like these, he's writing all these songs without having to have the need of going to a guitar solo section. Yeah. And you're not thinking when you're getting to the end of the song, wait a minute, we didn't get a guitar solo. Well, they're not that kind of band. Yeah, but it's just, I guess I'm saying that's just, that shows their strength as songwriters that they didn't need a guitar solo to fill out the length of the song. They didn't need a solo section. Even, even pop bands of their time would have, it wasn't uncommon to have guitar solos. 70s was the era of the guitar solo. <laughs> Even disco songs had guitar solos in them. Yeah, that's true. We did have the working man, three minute, four minute, five minute <laughs> guitar solos. That was the that was the the flavor of the of the time. Yeah, everybody I wanted mean, to do guitar as, player, as a guitar player. Guitar I'm okay with that. I mean, just, you know, it also comes down to the fact that that's also not the kind of guitar player Jeff Lynn was. He's, you know, he's he approaches the guitar more on a songwriting aspect yeah. than a, I'm going to... He's a producer, a producer guitar player. Exactly. He He plays guitar because he wrote the songs on the guitar. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So... We get to uh, we get to the finale here, and I thought it'd be nice to just we have this nice little fade out, and then just get pummeled in the face with the most compressed drum beat of all time. Yeah, now, did you, did we <laughs> talk about where this song is on the list? Oh yeah, it's number ten. Number ten. So that's Strange the lowest Magic so is number ten. Yeah, Strange Magic number ten. That is the lowest that's so it. far. Yeah, but I mean, they have strong songs. They have strong songs all the way up into the 30s. So, I'm sure, you know, being a top 10, being in the top 10 at all means that this is elite level electric light orchestra. Um, So, our final song is Don't Bring Me Down, which I guess you could say is their other most recognizable song by far more recognized. it's it's the one that i would say the most people have heard without knowing who it is it's kind of like um surrender exactly where um surrender is the um the bigger song but a lot of people didn't know it was cheap trick where i want you to want me is the song that most people associate with the band most people know that Mr. Blue Sky is a is yeah. ELO song, but I would guarantee more people have heard Don't Bring Me Down, but didn't know that it was them. Yeah. Because the big thing with this song is that there's no orchestra. Yeah. It's also on the radio all the time. 
Oh yeah, this was definitely this is this was their biggest American hit. It got all the way up to number three. This is a this and, is a this is a seventy spring breaker song. This is like a Beach Boys vibe. Oh yeah, this was a song that he completely made just to have fun. He had no intentions of this being a big hit. This was almost like a blooper song because he is actually the only person that did anything on this song. He completely really? made <laughs> he made it by himself. Recorded now he everything. didn't actually record the drum part, but he the drum part is actually from a previous song on that record. He just put it on a tape loop, compressed it, sped <laughs> up the tempo, <laughs> and almost he almost like created the drum machine. That is like that's eccentrics right there. I feel like they did the mm-hmm. same drum tracks for one of their albums or something. And uh-huh. then, and the, but then all the guitars, all the pianos, all the vocals, all the effects, he did a 100% by himself. Crazy. You the know, vocals are really thing. clean on this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the vocals, the vocals is just, just really push this song forward. This was, so this was a song that um, I was playing at church and we did a rehearsal and Andrew Stone played this over the loudspeakers. And I was like, I had never actually paid attention to the song before. I just knew that, that hook don't bring me down. Mm-hmm. And I, but I didn't know what the other parts of the song were. And I remember standing there listening to the song going, Oh my gosh, this is an incredible song. And I looked around and everyone else on stage is like singing the song word for word. And I'm just like, how do I not know this song? How have I not listened to this already my whole life? Hmm. So yeah, this, is the, so. this is the third song that it's tough for me to pick my favorite. Because there's just something about this song when it comes on that I just almost go into another dimension and just like have it's one of the most fun songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's just it's 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 pure party just injected into musical form. And that's weird. The drummer didn't even drum for this song. I know. That's <laughs> It's really funny because it's like it's been in everybody's radio 14 million times. I used to actually think back when my friends were getting into Queen and everything, you know, and I I wasn't actually getting into it with them. uh, And they would reference, you know, Don't Stop Me Now. This was the melody that I always thought of because I always heard this song and be like, Don't Don't Stop Me Now, now," you know, (laughs) (laughs) so that's what I thought it was. Uh, but thankfully both those songs are good on their own. Yeah. But I will say that I think you made a, I won't say error because I don't think it was wrong to do this. I just, I think it, the catharsis is expected because this song is so well known, you know, and I, I, and 
I'm not bashing your your set at all. I'm saying that uh, I wish I was able to listen to this whole set not knowing anything. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's the way it is with a lot of artists, you know. I mean, for a lot of the artists that we've done over the podcast, I've known, you know, what the last song is. And this is another one of those cases where I wish I could have heard it for the first time. Yeah. This time. Yeah. I but think for, I would have gotten something else out there of people out there that are new to Electric Light Orchestra, I think that ending on Don't Bring Me Down is a pretty fun it, it, that's like, true too. Strange, strange magic into Don't Bring Me Down. Like, if this is the first time that you've ever heard Electric Light Orchestra, I think Don't Bring Me Down is a good, like, kind of like kind a of rope them back in. It's kind of, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like it, it gets back high without that's true too. adding the strings back in. Uh, I, I think, in a weird way, Don't Bring Me Down is. Again, it's just it goes back to the songwriting and stuff, but I think it really um, points to the genius of Jeff Lynne, honestly. Yeah, like, like the fact there that was... he literally was like, "I'm just going to do this by myself," and like the reason that it doesn't have strings is because he couldn't do it. Like that's probably the only reason mm-hmm. it doesn't have strings is because he yeah, just did it by himself. He... And so, yeah, I'm sure he could have figured it out. But... I, I, I like <laughs> now knowing what I know about Jeff Lynn, I think that this is a good ending because it's just like Don't Bring Me Down is one million percent just unadulterated Jeff Lynn doing Jeff Lynn without anybody's help. Mm-hmm. It's a, him writing a good song, him playing every instrument and figuring out something to do on the drums and still making it like an incredible song still it's almost like the song is about the song where it's like yeah well okay so the song is another it's another disco song that's about disco so this song came out during the height of disco 1979 was when this came out um and the song is um you know, when he's talking about, I'll tell you once more before I get off the floor, he's talking about the dance floor. Hmm. He's just, it's, it's kind of almost a sequel to Turn to Stone. It's about a wild woman that um, is always going out and partying. And he's just kind of, it's almost like he's just along for the ride. You've got me shaking, got me running away. You got me crawling back to you every day. It's kind of like someone he knows is bad for him, but at the same time, he can't help but be around her. And he's just kind of saying, don't bring me down. Just, you know, let's just have fun. Almost like a, he's like warning her, just like, now don't you bring me down. Mm-hmm. Again, not super deep, but it doesn't have to be. It's true. Doesn't have to be. But we do have one of the most famous misheard lyrics of all time with Don't Bring Me Down, Groose. Ruth. It's actually, so it's Groose. Most people have thought it was Bruce. And a lot of people kept asking him, who's Bruce? Who's Groose? He's just like, I say, well, it's, it's a made up word. 
because he had a he wanted to say something there, but he had no idea what to say, so he just made up a word. That's a Dr. Seuss move. Man, we've we've gone everywhere from Pantera to Dr. Seuss in this episode. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> to the Beatles. But he But he says that now when he uh does it live, he says Bruce because that's what everyone in the crowd says. And so he's just like, okay, I'll say Bruce because you guys are all saying it. Well, it's like, it's, I bet he's, he's, it's almost like, thanks, I guess, for finishing. I guess, you know. <laughs> he also says that every time they play at Madison Square Garden, Bruce Willis sits in the front row and they all point to him when they say Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Even everyone on stage. He'll be like, don't bring me down, Bruce. And he says that it puts a smile on his face every time. (laughs) That's pretty great. (laughs) Like, just think think about this, though. Another artist would have, like, gotten pissed off and gotten a fight with his fans saying, no, I didn't write it as Bruce. It's Bruce. You sing it my way. He's like, And (laughs) Jeff Lynn's just like, Okay, you 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 want to do Bruce? Cool. I'll change the way that I wrote it to sing it the way you guys want to sing it. But I think it's also that like, just shows- he probably just hodgepodge the song together so quick because he, he's like, well, I said Bruce because I didn't really know what to say, but I guess Bruce works. So yeah, you know. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think just, it's, it should... I feel like it's cheap to say that it's a mis- it's one of the most misunderstood lyrics of all time because it's not a real word. Yeah, but just in the fact that, you know, and other people have said other things, but the most popular one being everyone keeps saying it's Bruce and I thought it was Bruce for a long time and I was I remember seeing it going who the heck is Bruce and why is he bringing him down? Just stop bringing me down, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then just I, the last thing I'll I'll talk about the song is just the vocal harmonies are just oh yeah so good like and the way that it builds up as the song goes. Yeah. He starts it's adding so more and more stratospheric vocal harmonies. Good lord. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I just felt like this would be a fun way to end, and especially you've got the you've got the door closing at the end, which was actually just them forgetting to stop the tape and someone walks through the door and they were like, We're keeping it. Because it was also the last song on that record. And so that also ended the record it was on. And so, um, yeah, I just, I thought, you know, you've kind of, you've almost got the, the set starts with a personalized welcome. Good morning. Today's forecast calls for blue skies. And you end the set with a physical ending of walking out the door. So I'm in the door shut behind you. Hmm. That's pretty funny. The door closed. I didn't know that about the door closed, that it was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, a lot of the a lot of the best accidents are happy. 
So uh, I put this song at number three on on my list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree. So we had one, two, three, and four on this list. Yep. And and also number eight and number ten. I do keep forgetting that this set serves the function of introducing everyone to the band, not just being a good set on its own. And so I think from that aspect, this was a great set. Uh, so everyone definitely listen to it if you haven't already because you will get a lot out of it and you may discover something that you never knew you liked. So it's worth a shot. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts and wrap things up. So stay tuned. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done with part two, which is listening through uh, this week's playlist. We had Mr. Blue Sky, Evil Woman, Turn to Stone, Telephone Line, Strange Magic, and Don't Bring Me Down. And now we are on to our final segment before the after hours, which is final thoughts. So, Grant... um, after listening to the set list and talk about the band, um, how has your perception about Electric Light Orchestra changed? Well, once again, just like last week, I'm glad we talked about them. You know, I'm glad I didn't just listen to them because on surface level, they are a really talented band. Very good songwriting, good pop songwriting, which you just, you can't go wrong with that. Um, I was already ready to listen to some more and and I'm glad that we talked about uh, 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 that one the one two part album I'll find it uh, out of the blue out of the blue there you go thank you well I'm, I'm glad we talked about that being such a good album because I, I know that if I wanted to listen to more yellow I'd go straight there first thing I'd go to side three because you know we that's a I, I love big sweeps like that. Um, mm-hmm. And, but just talking about Jeff Lynn and how he was so influential in the music industry, it makes you appreciate him just sitting down doing simple stuff, you know? And like, maybe he could have been such a, a, grandiose producer for a really extremely cutting edge technical band you know every two years you know produced the greatest album for many many bands but he did his own thing and he you know met his heroes and he helped them do what they love to do which was make music and to be such an easygoing guy too and to work well with so many different people because you just, you have to have so many different people if you're going to have an orchestra in your band. And that's something that is important as well, you know? Um, And so, yeah, my appreciation for them essentially went from zero because I had not even heard, well, okay. I'd probably heard their name once 
you know, but once again, I, I had no idea what they were even like. So my appreciation went from basically zero to now wanting to listen to more and appreciating the members and appreciating the idea behind the music. So, um, yeah, I'm ready for a volume two. I'm glad that Lucas is already thinking about that. Yeah, I agree with I you. Think this would be I, a great volume two band. I, my my perception, in a weird kind of way, and I I respect every all of the members of Electric Light Orchestra, but I really think my my key takeaway was with Jeff Lynn, in that, um, it's one thing, and I know it. Some people might think it's sad that ELO never had like a top number one hit, but in a weird way, I think it's more. It's a bigger feat yeah. to have that many solid songs over that long of a period of time. And which is what we were talking about whenever we were dissecting the songs where it's like, it's like, this song is just good. That's it. It's just a good, <laughs> it's just a well-written song and it's really well produced and the vocals are clean on it. The harmonies are there. They, and and it goes back to, I think, the core of songwriting, which Grant, I know you said you said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you're right where it's like, you're like, well, isn't just writing a good groove and picking good vocal melodies, isn't that like what everybody does? And it's like, yes. And that's why it's just like they had that down to such a T. Like, because that's what every song should be. Every song should be you have really good backing track that you never get tired of and you have vocal lines that are interesting and varied and doesn't sound repetitive and 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 then just whatever that electric light orchestra secret sauce is with the multi-layered vocals and the strings and the you know kind of the upbeat feel they just had that formula and that and and really Jeff Lynn just had that good of a sense of his own songwriting and that they were just able to just the fact that you can just crank out that many top 40s is is insane and and have that many and we haven't gone through albums or anything but like to be able to look at it at three albums in a row and be like there's not like a weak song you know is really good i think that elo uh because probably whenever they got inducted into the rock hall of fame a lot whenever we think of rock hall of fame we think of like the great great greats like who has like the number one song like who had the number one who claimed the prize and for elo to get in just based off of just like they're prolific and the fact that like they were around a long time like up in that same upper echelon of players. Um, so I think it's good to listen to stuff like this where it's just it's just solid and good songwriting. There's no there's no smoke and mirrors to it. It's just Jeff Lynn's just a talented guy and he got the right band together and their sound was right for the time. Hmm. Yeah. I, I like everything that you just said. Um, so yeah, ELO has been has been growing 
constantly for me over the last couple years. I would say that it has grown exponentially during the time that I was getting ready for this um, episode because I hadn't listened to any full albums of theirs yet. I had just been listening to their greatest hits record. So this was my first time to kind of really delve in and get to really see how they changed over time. Uh, I hadn't listened to the early records yet. And even though, yes, the first couple of records are pretty tough to get through, it's still interesting to see that even before he fully matured as a songwriter, you can see the process that um, you can see him learning on every album to where it's just like, okay, he's just, he's picking up on this part of the formula now. Okay. Now he's, he's getting this. And I think it could have been so easy for them to be really far up their own butts. Yeah. With being an orchestral band. And you can feel a little bit of that in the early records, but the fact that he, May was able to make the decision not only to move towards pop starting but pop songwriting, but to be able to do it successfully is just it's amazing that once he hit that stride, like there's just a purity to their music. You listen to it and you just you don't feel like anything's fake, you don't feel like anything is phoned in. You don't feel like, oh, this is just, they're cashing in on this one. They're yeah. selling out. Just you listen to it and you're just like, this is exactly the song he had in him and he wanted to write. Mm-hmm. Every time. It's like these these songs are him. In the same way that we talked about in Sticks, how when Dennis DeYoung wrote their pop songs, those were the songs that he was born to write. Yeah, it's good. And these are the songs Jeff Lynn was born to write. And it's just really awesome to see that. And to see that, you know, he didn't start off as this incredible songwriter. He had to learn it, you know. And then just slowly as you listen through those records, you start to hear more and more great songs per album until finally you get to face the music and you're it's like he's emerged out of the cocoon as a beautiful British butterfly with giant hair and sunglasses. (laughs) Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. So (laughs) it was really cool to dig deeper and just learn about more about Jeff Lynn as a person um, to see what they're like as a live group. um, Just I can't wait to get back to them because I already have several songs that I've got a good idea of what I want to use. So uh, that does it for this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening. We have new episodes that come out every Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Um, next week we're going to be returning to our history of music subseries. We're going to be talking about ancient Roman yeah. music, which I 
I literally did a college course on ancient Rome to prepare for this episode. So you guys better listen to it to make my work be worth it. <laughs> we we kid, but we're also kind of serious. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, make sure you don't miss that. And uh, if you want to become a patron and hear the after hours section that we are about to do, then uh, there's a link to the description of that in the episode, as well as a link to get to our Spotify playlist. And uh, check us out on social media and on YouTube as we continue to get ready to put a bunch of new episodes on there. And with that, I'm, I'm Lucas. Grant. And I'm Ethan. Keep on listening to good music.